the Bioceuticals Integrative Medicine Awards showcase the outstanding talent we have in the Australian complementary medicine profession. Nominations are now open for the 2018 Beamer Awards. For more information and to book your ticket to the gala dinner, visit bioceuticals.com.au slash BIMA. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. Joining me on the line today again is Beth Bundy, who's a qualified naturopath of over 18 years, specialising in integrative and functional medicine. She worked previously as technical consultant with PathLab, one of Australia's original functional pathology companies, and currently trains healthcare practitioners nationally as clinical consultant at Nutripath Integrative Pathology Services, where she's in high demand as an engaging and definitely informing speaker. And she also works as a functional medicine practitioner in a busy and highly successful integrative medical practice. Beth, welcome back to FX Medicine. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I think my um, frequent flyer FX Medicine points must be finally getting me a flight to Sydney. Good luck. Eventually. Good luck with that. <laughs> you, you might get from, um, from um, Tullamarine to Avalon. That's for our listeners. That's two to the two airports in Melbourne. Um, <laughs> Beth, today we're going to be talking about mercury testing and specifically about mm-hmm. a tri test. Um, yep. Now, this is something I need a little bit of explaining, but I think we need to go back a little bit. When often we think of mercury poisoning, you know, we think of underdeveloped countries, we think of these disastrous industrial accidents like Minamata Bay, which happened in Japan. So just how big an issue is mercury poisoning or mercury toxicity in Australia? Haha, I thought you might ask me a kind of techo question, so I've, I bought my stats. <laughs> um, all right, so... Um, interesting you mentioned the Minamata disaster because in 2013, actually, I think it was about 160 countries got together mm. for the Minamata Convention, oh. which um, actually was an international treaty designed to protect um, humans yep. from themselves, yes. from the um, emissions and releases of mercury that they had created. So, you know, the whole world's realising that there's a problem with mercury. Mm. And um, I've, I've got some, some notes here from the Australian Department of Environment and Energy have um, put together a final regulation impact statement right. as of the end of uh, 2016. Uh, and I state here, in Australia, an estimated 18 tonnes of mercury is emitted into the air or released to land or water every year. So on a per capita basis, Australia's mercury pollution is high at approximately double the global average. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, yeah, I know, that was like, oh, dear. Um, now, much of that comes from metal manufacturing, so such as gold, um, the coal industry, yeah. and especially in, in um, making electricity, which I surprised. Oh, and okay. then um, the other one is from... Fungicide spraying, it's a product called Shirtan, mm. um, and they spray it on sugarcane, and it's got You're mercury kidding. in it. Yeah, yeah. So Queenslanders, be on the lookout for this. 
Um, and also, you've got to remember now our new Wizbang Energy Efficient uh, Fluorescent Light Bulbs, mm. are Mercury, and of course they end up in landfill, or you've got to be careful if you break them, right? That's yeah, I think that's the good. issue, yeah. And and is it fluoro or the um, the 50 watters? It's oh, not... now you're getting all blokey on me. <laughs> it's those, you know, those curly-whirly ones that now yeah. you can fit into your... Yeah. And also in this um, impact statement... They say that mercury is internationally mobile, which actually means that the emissions and releases anywhere in the world oh, yeah. can harm Australians oh, sure. and vice versa. The thing that interests me is the the health um, advice given to pregnant women regarding fish, and they vacillate. Well, um, well now they, they are because that is, um, you know, clearly um, a problem, as is um, really the second major source is... Um, silver mercury dental amalgam yeah. or, you know, the, the silver fillings that we know of, uh, which also contain tin and copper apparently. Um, now, interestingly, the amalgams have been, mercury amalgams have mm. been phased out in several um, countries in Europe, but still widely used in the USA and many other countries. And, um, the, you know, the NHANE study, yep. they did a um, risk analysis data from the NHANES, um, revealing that um, the amalgams were a major source of mercury and that the um, the risk analysis showed that mercury in urine, faeces, breath, saliva, blood, kidney, liver, brain and pituitary gland increases with each filling you have. Wow. So you're compounding, 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 depending mm. on how many of those things you've got in your mouth. And the other thing I found was even the manufacturer of, or a manufacturer of um, the amalgam mm. says, and, and I am quoting this, the use of amalgam is contraindicated in proximal contact to dissimilar metal restorations. So basically, if you've got gold God. in your mouth, yep. don't put a filling next to it. Um, in patients with severe renal deficiency, which will make sense to us a bit later yep. you know, when we when I talk about how it all works. Mm. Um, in patients with known allergies uh, and also children under six and in expectant mothers. So, you know, it's clear that it's, it's a problem. And also, if they really want to get, you know, freaked out because you want to see something a little bit more real and slightly scary, is um, you can Google a YouTube video um, of a tooth off-gassing mercury uh, that you can actually see the mercury vapour coming out. And so this wow. is especially important for those with fillings. Uh, every time you chew and have a hot beverage, um, it's going to help release that mercury oh, okay. vapour. So um, listeners just have to Google mercury vapour video. Right. And I'll, and I'll put the link in for the show notes. Yeah. There, there was also a very good um, YouTube um, call it a video, but it's got some animation in there. It was very well done by University of Calgary. That was over a decade ago. So in, indeed, that was nearly two decades ago. So it's 17 odd years ago that they put that out. So About um, the filling? Yeah. Yeah. And what it does, yeah. what, what mercury does when it's mobilised and what the risks are. Um, so it's not like well, it's a new issue. It's just been denied. That's all. Oh, completely. And because of this Minamata Convention, uh, of course, the government put it out there to relevant parties who would be interested in what they had to say about it before we ratified anything, which, by the way, we haven't so Australia hasn't signed yet, so that's interesting. Um, 
And so what was promising when I was looking up a little bit more on this is that many Australian dentists do seem to be no longer using the dental amalgam. Yes. However, however, the Australian Dentist Association does not see the need to ban mercury as it is a cost-effective option. The other thing about the amalgams is, which, of course, the Dental Association says, well, it's not just us, you know, um, of course, but also you've got to think about when, um, when the, you know, you drop off this mortal coil and you're popped in the ground or popped in the, um, what is the thing? The Furnace. Big, you yeah. know, incinerator. Yep. Um, 54% of the mercury from your teeth comes via crematoria. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So don't um, stand too close to you know when you're sending people off. Gosh. Um, I I actually remember uh, at one of the symposiums, uh, Dr. Joseph Pizzorno, who's you know one of the modern yep. fathers of natural medicine. Um, his merc he was commenting that his mercury levels were elevated and he couldn't understand because he didn't have any fillings and he didn't eat seafood. Uh, so then he was determining that he must have been exposed via winds from industrial sectors in China blowing across to him on the west coast of America. Mm. Um, or maybe he stood near a lot of crematoriums in Seattle, I don't know. But, um, you know, that again is talking about the mobile aspect of the mercury floating all around us. Wow. Um, and another way is... Um, uh, skin lightening, so cosmetics, mm. and so those skin lightening creams that you can use, the mercury, a bit like old-fashioned, you know, they used to put lead on their face in the mm. you know, Renaissance. Mm. Um, so you've got to be very careful if you're using these products where you're getting them from. Um, and some medications, uh, you know, ear, eye, nose drops, ointments have mercury in them. Uh, and the other biggie is your fish. Yeah. Okay, so, and that's because... The mercury is converted to methylmercury um, and consumed by us in our fish. Uh, big fish are worse. So things like your shark or your slake, your swordfish, uh, your orange ruffies, your ling, your barramundi, tunas, your big tunas. Um, I remember Chris Shade, Dr. Chris Shade, uh, who does a lot about uh, mercury and detoxing. He said salmon and sardines are okay. And however, though the farmed fish have less mercury, they are much higher in other pollutants. Mm. So we're kind of, you know, we might have to ban fish at some stage. I don't know. Um, um, and shellfish, yes, they have less mercury, but apparently they are higher in cadmium and arsenic. So I pick don't know. Pick your we poison. Have to <laughs> pick your poison. And now, interestingly, Chris mentions that it's the mercury in the fish is not in the fat. Right, so we know a lot of toxins are in the fat, um, but he says it's actually in the proteins, and this is mainly due to cysteine, which oh. you know is the amino acid. Yeah, and it has this sulfhydryl group that has a high affinity for mercury. So what happens is the methyl mercury sticks to it, and then you eat it, and when you're digesting the proteins, you're hydrolyzing um, that into the amino acids. And then you have this free cysteine that's got a mercury stuck to it. Right. Yeah. So um, apparently what happens is because um, it looks to our body, this looks a lot like methionine. And with molecular mimicry, we then absorb this um, through our amino acid transporters in the gut. And so 
This is why um, the mercury from fish, you're looking at about a 95% absorption rate because of that fact. So um, that's, uh, you know, a little bit disturbing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and also the other things that bind mercury stronger um, than sulfhydryl groups are the selenol groups, which is about selenium, yeah? Right. So um, it's important to ensure we have enough selenium in the diet um, mm. to help, um, you know, get that mercury uh, out, mm. kind of, um, what do you call it, connected and out. Yep. Um, and it's because if we don't have enough, then we're more susceptible to the mercury toxicity okay. um, within us. Yeah. Mm. So, of course, there's, with regards to fish, there's the issue of bioconcentration. And, you know, I think the thing is, um, forgive me if, I, if, if, if this is boring to listeners. I just hope somebody out there maybe hasn't heard of this term or, or isn't au okay fait with it. But the whole concept is that one fish doesn't just absorb a little bit of mercury and then gets caught. They have to live. They have to breathe. They have to grow. And during that time, they're eating. So they're not eating one meal, but you know, multiple meals, each of which contains a tiny bit of mercury. Then that fish gets preyed upon by a bigger fish. So then all of the mercury and other toxins that are in that fish get absorbed into that bigger fish. But that bigger fish doesn't eat just that meal. It eats multiple meals. And then that bigger fish is eaten by an even bigger fish. And that fish, again, eats multiple meals, each of which have these toxins. That's called bioconcentration. Yeah, which I guess that's the thing is like the, a, a big worry is the shark. Mm, that's right. You know, when we eat plate because that's one of the biggest fish and it, that's all it eats. Yeah. I just found it interesting that people, they don't seem cognizant of the, the, the way that bioconcentration happens. Um, you it's know, layer upon layer upon layer. Layer upon layer and multiple meals. Women particularly will not use one skin lightening treatment or cosmetics, mm. they'll use them every single mm. day. So it's this That's compounding, right. this, this compounding effect. And then you team with that some issue um, with poor chelation or um, poor biotransformation and clearance out of the body and then you've, you've got a pool that's happening, haven't you? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and, the, the hard, and that's what kind of makes the hardest thing is to actually determine if mercury is the patient's problem. Yes. Um, because and it can mimic, like mercury toxicity um, versus poisoning. So that's, that's kind of differentiation too you need to be mindful of is that that, that long-term chronic accumulation um, becomes toxic. And, and it can mimic all sorts of diseases. And, and most of the lists that you'll find you know, on Google, mm. are more related to mercury poisoning. So let's talk about yeah. that. What are the major sort of signs and symptoms? And one of my issues is how would you, when would you suspect or be suspicious of mercury toxicity as opposed to some other, one or any of other of the myriad of causes mm. of these symptoms? So can we go into that? Well, yeah, well, this, this is the trouble, isn't there? They are kind of nonspecific and varied mm. with the chronic toxicity. So... You could look at things like, um, so like the nervous system is one of the main targets of mercury. So, uh, you know, if your patient's irritable, they're talking about memory loss or, you know, brain fog, insomnia, depression, anxiety, um, tingling of the extremities or slight tremors, um, a disturbed sense of smell or taste and, 
and they might talk about a metallic taste, um, burning sensations or numbness, pain, headaches, fatigue. Um, there's question marks about Alzheimer's and Parkinson's being, um, you know, mercury being involved in that. Um, and mercury is also known to stimulate the NMDA receptor mm. and therefore can cause elevated glutamate levels, which then can cause those sort of neuro issues. Um, so I had a patient uh, recently who came to see me um, uh, mid-40s, highly, highly anxious, um, was also smoking because she was anxious and that made her feel better, even though we did discuss mm. it, it does make, does make you more anxious. Mm. Um, and but she was coming to me saying, you know, I'm so anxious, I'm so anxious, and and um, you know, on examination, you could tell she was this like rabbit in the headlights sort of person. Mm. And then she was telling me about scalp numbness, and she goes, Oh, my scalp feels numb, and I have this funny taste in my mouth, and my tongue burns, and and I, I get these like little tingly bits in my body, and got this funny part on my leg, and wow. and I was just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. So I was like, yeah, 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 and then. I just kind of went, how many fillings have you got, love? And she said, oh, heaps. And um, I said, like, how many? Open your mouth. And she, we counted 10. And I said, you know, do you think maybe, could we maybe go down this pathway? Mm. Um, and so in this instance, um, I actually, because it was wholly and solely in her mouth and, as per usual, money was an issue, I did um, a saliva metal test where they um, chew and then they spit um, and they can do that. And mercury came off scale. Wow. So um, the next test we are doing on her is the tri-mercury uh, test. Gotcha. Um, but that was a kind of a really – well, it wasn't really obvious. It was just these weird symptoms that – I don't see a lot of people kind of having numb scalp. And, and I even talked to the chiropractor that works with us and I said, oh, is this some sort of neurological thing if they're talking about this? And he, kind of, he was like, oh, not off the top of my head. So the mercury thing, that was something I could connect to her neuro sort of symptoms, mm. yeah? But otherwise they could have not been related to that at all. It could have been something else. Um, the other thing that you have to consider is immune system. So if someone's getting... Um, chronic or frequent viral um, or fungal infections, okay? Um, Chris Shade talks about candida being very um, relatable to mercury filling. Um, And I guess that would make sense. It's in your mouth and then you're swallowing that and it's in your gut. Um, Skin conditions, um, and I have definitely seen that um, with IV chelation. If you go too hard and fast, people's skin reacts. You know, it comes out by their skin. So right. that's a strong one. Right. The other thing we need to remember is metals, as a general rule, metals are endocrine disruptors. Mm. And mercury has been associated with thyroid issues, so particularly Hashimoto's um, and some infertility and adrenal issues. Um, the gut is a big thing because you swallow it, so irritable bowel symptoms. Again, I had another patient who um, he was really concerned because he was pooing 14 times a day, Gosh, which would be concerning. He couldn't, you know, he had to plan his travels everywhere. He had to know where all the public toilets were on his travels because of his bowel. Mm. Um, 
he had been checked out. He didn't have ulcerative colitis. He didn't have Crohn's. He had no um, macro um, reason for this. He um, uh, went Googling and came to me saying, look, this is my situation. I think it's mercury. We tested him, um, did a urine test, and yes, again, his mercury was off scale. He got um, treated with detoxification and chelation, and I saw him about four or five months later, um, and I said, oh, how's it going? You know, how's the visits to the, mm. you know, amenities? And he just put up two fingers and wow. just went twice a day. And I was like, wow. You know, it was just such an irritant to his gut and bowel um, that was causing this um, diarrhea. So, and but say so even all those things, all those symptoms I've commented on, they go, oh, well, they could be anything. Beth, they could be dysbiosis. They could be, you know. So, it is tricky. So, you really need to do a thorough case history to determine if there's been exposure. So, you need to ask about feelings. You need to ask about. You know, did they play with the insides of the old thermometers when they were kids? Um, which I've had people say, yeah, I used to play with that. It was cool because, you know, liquid mercury. It, for all of those, you know, mercury kind of rolls around like Little liquid balls, ball bearing. Yeah. 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 Um, Thank, thankfully, our, our science teacher, Mr. Visser, um, was very aware of the toxicity of mercury and was paranoid about it. I've got That's to say. where your paranoia comes from, love. <laughs> but, but but I've got to say he was he was very respectful of safety, and I, I always admire him for that. He was well, a good, good. He was a good teacher. He was a great teacher. That's good. Um, obviously, dentists. Um, you know, we've tested a lot of dentists uh, with the tri test um, since it's come to Australia. Mm. Um, and also, I would be suspicious, as I mentioned, for those in Queensland that are dealing with sugarcane farmers. Mm, absolutely. Um, knowing about this fungus. Didn't know side. about that so, one. No, well, neither had I. So at least, you know, those are really obvious. And then otherwise, perhaps you would consider general heavy metal testing if you've got little to go on, which you can do in via hair or urine. And then, depending on what you see in that, you may consider further mercury specifically. Right, right. But yeah, but but still, I want everyone, all the listeners, to remember that all tests have their limitations of awesomeness. Mm. Um, and for example, measuring in the blood, unless they're overtly toxic, it, it just it won't show up because it's you know the body's going to put it through the blood and then to the kidneys and the and the gut and and either get rid of it or stick it in your fatty tissue and your brain. And this, to me, answers, in part at least, the denial. If it's not there, it's not there. What are you looking at? It's not there. We don't see it. We don't have a toxicity issue. Why? Because we did a blood test. Well, it's not there Correct. in the blood. You know, so relevant testing has got to be employed in all, in all cases. Um, yes, and we need to remember to use it as an indication rather than an absolute. Aha, uh -huh. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what sort of tests are available? You said hair, urine, yep. serum, yep. and then you've got the yep. tri-test. And the tri-test, so, um, so which looks at blood, hair, and urine. Surprise, right. there's the three. So but if, if I can just back up and actually talk about the different forms of mercury because we're just going, ah, oh, mercury, mercury, yes. mercury. Yeah, yeah, but yep. You need to know there's different forms because that matters. So we have the elemental mercury, which is found in your amalgam, 
and it can be found in a liquid and a gas form, which is the vapour, and approximately 80% of that can be absorbed via the lung, right, via an inhalation. Mm-hmm. Then you have your inorganic mercury, which is formed by the oxidation of elemental mercury, and this can happen in the blood and the mouth, right, with your filling, and is swallowed, and then obviously goes through your gut uh, and detoxification uh, elimination channels, but there can be a problem with that. Methyl mercury, which is the one that's found in the fish, and as I mentioned, is highly absorbable in the gut because it attaches to the cysteine. Um, and this methyl mercury readily crosses into the blood-brain barrier. So this is the problem with it getting into your brain. Yeah. Um, and then it can also demethylate to form back to inorganic mercury, um, which can be a problem for those overmethylators, okay, because they're demethylating constantly and upregulating that. And then the last form of mercury is ethyl mercury, uh, and this is the one that's found in um, vaccination still, in some vaccinations, cosmetics. So this is the skin lightening creams and other some other cosmetics and medication. So your ear, eye, nose drops, and good old mercurochrome. If you remember that, yeah, I remember paint, that. I remember yeah. the eye. Yep. Mum used to paint on you. Yeah. Yep. Don't be doing that to your children, please. Mm. I was taken um, off the market years ago. Yeah. So, um, and as we mentioned, that mercury in the blood, unless acute, is not going to come up because most lab detection limits are most of the machines. Um, they can't read it until the limit is too high. They can't read down low, 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 low. Mm. Um, and they measure for total mercury. So they measure for all of those lumped in a bag together. It doesn't differentiate or what they call speciation. They don't specify or tell you which species of mercury you're dealing with. And that's kind of where um, the tri-test comes in. So what you need to know is in blood, um, what you're reading in blood is predominantly methyl mercury, right? right? So, and you get only a little bit of inorganic. In the hair, you're mainly reading methyl mercury. So, this is the fish mercury. Yeah. So, when you ju- when you do a hair analysis of, let's just we're just talking mercury today, you're going to get a picture of what their dietary intake is more so. Right. With urine you will get more about the inorganic mercury and a little bit of methyl. Um, And when you do um, provoked urine or a a challenge with an IV collating agent, um, which are things like DMPS, DMSA or EDTA, Mm. um, you will pull both methyl or fish mercury and um, inorganic amalgam mercury out um, in the stool, we can also measure. Um, you'll get both mercuries. Um, and the saliva, um, you, you're predominantly getting that um, mercury from the amalgam. Yeah, so that's that inorganic mercury. So yeah. this is why uh, Dr. Chris Shade, who you've interviewed previously on podcast, um, created the um, mercury tri-test because it measures the blood, hair, and urine. So we get we can more specify which mercury and we can see how they're working together. Right, and, yeah. tailor, and tailor treatment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can see whether it is mainly the, the, the food, so you need to cut that out, or amalgams or what have you. And so what you get from that is a, a, 
it's a graphic representation. You get a little pretty picture of a graph with the coloured bars so you can determine to what degree and it goes, you know, it measures at a smaller um, quantity and then can go up to, you know, scary levels if someone is scary and I have seen a few of these uh, test results thus far and um, it's quite interesting. And it, it's interesting about detoxification pathways because I've seen quite a few dentists' um, results and there's a few dentists that I've gone, hey, you need to, you know, watch what you're doing with mercury and others that are really quite, you know, mobilising and detoxing very well. So it, it, it is quite helpful. Mm. Um, and so what we're doing, when we're doing the blood versus hair, mm. um, it's showing how the bodies um, can mobilise the mercury more related to their liver processes. Uh-huh. And when we're looking at that, inorganic mercury in blood against urine, we can then see how they're excreting relating to their kidney elimination. Right. You see? So we we get an idea about the kidney and liver slash gut because um, this affects, you know, mercury will affect um, your elimination channels because it kind of like blocks it up or clogs it up or you know, it gets overloaded. Yeah. Um, so I, I so guess I guess one of my issues is, you know, um, like if you've got a steady outflowing, this steady drip, if you like, of yep, yep. of excretion of mercury in the kidneys or through the kidneys and the liver, um, then that's fine. But then you go and detox and liberate mercury from tissues, from organs around the body. You've now got a dump of a load mm-hmm. of that, and that's got to be handled. That that's a real area of of problem, you know, that causes problems or might cause problems if you don't handle it properly. So absolutely. So what's because the best because it'll way? move to one or the other. You yeah. Know? So like if you've got gut, so you use gut and kidneys to excrete, yeah, via the liver to the gut and then the and the kidneys. But if you've got say gut inflammation, like our med poor man, um, then because you're not moving it through the intestine properly, you're going to have to then shunt it more to the kidneys mm. and increase your kidney load. Um, and then you can get um, retention of these toxins because the kidneys then start packing up as well. Now, I don't mean renal failure, but I mean that they're not being adequately able to um, eliminate these well, toxins. Just, it'll just recirculate, know. yeah. Absolutely. Hepatic recirculation is a real problem um, because, and it's it's how they come through. They'll all come via the, the gut or kidney, you know, through the lungs, and then they're going to accumulate, as you mentioned, in liver, kidney, brain, uh, what have you. Mm, so mm. you do need to um, get this out. Like you said, the slow drip. So hard and fast is not the way to do this. Um, you really want to start with draining or the drainage organ first. So you want to make sure that your patient's kidney, liver, and lymphatics um, are working adequately. Um, and, and now we can do this via herbs, homeopathics, uh, liposomal nutrients, uh, and and so rather than going straight to the detox, we would talk about this being our pre-tox or our yeah. Pre-detox, yeah. 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 Um, so you might look at um, things like diuretics for the kidneys, uh, 
bitters and collagogs for the liver. So you can use things like a globe artichoke, the pleurum, gentian, uh, and then what we call in the herbal world blood cleansers for your lymphatics, such as cleavers, burdock, yellow dock, um, uh, movement, exercise, massage is good for your lymphatics, um, and looking at um, fibres and gentle laxatives for your gut because obviously you've got to make sure people are pooing, just not excessively. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't forget the skin is also an elimination channel. So as I said, I've seen um, reactions to chelation coming out through the skin. Um, so, uh, you know, the far infrared saunas uh, ah, can be yes. beneficial to help people kind of sweat things out, providing yep. they wash it straight off. Um, the good old Epsom salt bath, okay, it's very oh, drawing. Okay. Yeah, it's very drawing. Um, and another big thing I need to mention too is sometimes we don't know where the toxicity is coming from, where the gut inflammation is coming from or what have you. So you need to determine whether you're dealing with an infection and or so such as um, paras- uh, parasitic infection or, say, uh, the SIBO, the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm-hmm. And you may have to treat that first before you look at detoxing because if you've got, you know, say, SIBO where the gut's really having a major issue and then you go, hey, let's detox your mercury filling, uh, where yeah. are you... Yeah, We've that's got gut right. problems already. Yeah, that's right. So, mm. yeah, because it's not necessarily the toxicity that's the issue, it's the toxin load on that person. Mm. Mm. Because what you can cope with and what I can cope with might be two different, you know, you can deal with playing with the, no, you can't play with the thermometers, but you can deal with eating more fish than I can per se before, um, you know, it's a toxic level for me and it's affecting me and this is going to, relate to the patient's detoxification capabilities, what the inflammation they've got going on, what their genetic detoxification capabilities are, because we know a lot more about um, genetic um, detox pathways now too. We look at um, intestinal binders, so things like chlorella, but you need lots of it to really get an adequate detox, uh, activated charcoals, your, your zeolites, your clays, you can use cholestyramine if you're prescribing doctor, which is an old cholesterol medication. And this is to bind up anything floating about so we minimize that enterohepatic reintoxication. Um, then phytonutrients, um, such as your um, green tea and ellagic acid from pomegranate, uh, sulfur compounds, so your cruciferous veggies, um, alpha lipoic acid is very helpful. Um, if, they ha- if patients have a trouble with sulfur, like with those vegetables, you can look at supplementing with molybdenum. That helps with um, the sulfur. Mm. Glutathione is a must, right, or, or supplementing with precursors. Um, the liposomal form of glutathione is, is definitely a better option than standard oral if, if you're not using um, intravenous. Yeah. NAC, N-acetylcysteine, and whey protein can offer the precursors to glutathione. Um, because uh, glutathione and alpha lipoic are better at detoxing mercury specifically. Um, yeah, but NAC can be used, but you would need to use mega doses yeah. versus you would use the liposomal um, glute. Yum, yum. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you can use also bitters for your drainage support, um, that things that have your burdock, your gentian, again, dandelion, et cetera. 
Um, and this, uh, your, your pre-tox that we talked about would probably go for, you know, numerous weeks, four to six weeks, because you've really got to make sure they're eliminating okay. Then you can detox. And it's important to not just go. You need to cycle this therapy to give the body a rest. So depending on their strength of detoxification capabilities, uh, you would do, say, five days on of your therapy and then give them two days off. And you might do this for a month or two. Then you can up-ramp that to 10 days on therapy and four days off if the patient's handling it. So you've got to really watch your patient because you need to know that detoxification effects. So if they go, oh, I'm having, I'm feeling nauseous, I've got a skin rash, I've got a headache, you don't go, excellent, you're detoxing fabulously. No, you're not. Um, even Chris Shea talks about him doing his own detox and causing himself all sorts of troubles because he decided to just go hard and fast. Um, and then he couldn't even remember what his name was. So <laughs> it, it's, it, it, it's one of the biggest lessons I've learned is this heroic yeah. dosing. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've, yeah, I've learned those lessons the hard way as well. Yeah, you've yeah. got to be careful. And, and this is where the binders are important too because as you're um, you know, starting to detox, you need to bind them and help get them out of the system, not float back around again. So, you know, and, and we instigate things like selenium and vitamin C and CoQ10 and B12, which you can also get in liposomal form, to assist with the energy that's required to to keep this um, detoxification going, mm. yeah? Um, and on the off days, you need to support people with their activated Bs and vitamin C and adrenal tonics um, because we, especially if someone's chronically ill, um, you, you really need to determine whether, A, you're going to detox them and at what level. Um, you really need to go slow with small doses and work your way up because yeah. you can really make them, you know, really sick and have um, horrible detox um, pathways. And Definitely the glutathione needs to be used quite a bit throughout so they don't then retox themselves, um, you know, mm. later, mm. yeah? Yep. Um, and antioxidants are important in that aspect too. Just as a, a, as a quick wrap-up question, Beth, what sort of mm. red flags do you have to be aware of? I know we've mentioned a few, but what sort of real ringing in the ears should you be listening to? when your patient, you know, comes back on the second or third visit after whilst going through these detox procedures? Are there any sort of uh-oh signs and symptoms that you might go, we need to retest and need to look at what's happening? Well, well, well definitely major detox or Herx, what we would call Herxheimer reaction, mm. you know, so major skin rashes, major nausea, major headaches, um, or neurological symptoms, so they're starting to, you know, get kind of, you know, weirded out in the brain or highly anxious or things like that. These, yep. these are not good. Mm. It does not mean your detox is working. It mm. means you are really hurting your patient. You mm. need to, you know, abort, mm. abort, mm. Um, and a rescue mission is needed. You need to really woo it up. So, um, so what sort of things would you use as a rescue? The binders or. The binders and and really just upregulating those those channels, right. and you just got to slow down. Yep. You know, the other thing is, if you're detoxing someone and they've still got lots of amalgams in their mouth, 
you are chasing your tail a mm, little bit. Mm, mm. Um, and it's very important that if someone, if you're, so with my lady who's got the 10 fillings and all these symptoms and has come up very positive, um, I have certainly recommended, and I do not do this very often, that she consider having them removed because yeah. it is a very costly process yeah. because you have to go to a dentist who is Specialises you know, very well-versed in that, well yeah. In that. yeah. yeah. And very safe. Um, the skin thing, I have seen um, the skin thing happen because um, I work in a clinic where we do IV chelation, so we use those chelating agents. Mm-hmm. And if, if someone hasn't had their drainage channels dealt with sufficiently, then I have seen that they get, they really do feel quite sick. Um, and they can go backwards. So Instead of them saying, oh, I feel so much better, they say to you, I feel so much worse. That is not the way to do it. I have another lady who's so sensitive. I actually, she's my first guinea pig on the uh, liposomal uh, detoxification process. And um, she she has done excellently because she's gone slowly and titrated up to how she's managed. She is really, she's had no um, no symptoms. Whereas when she was using um, an oral chelating agent at even them, she was breaking open the capsule and using a bit of it that way. Right. She was reacting. So um, the gentle way can be really great for those super sensitive. They have genetically uh, variations that are caused there, you know, which which might be something if someone's really ill, you need to maybe look at their uh, gene detoxification to see whether they can cope with mm-hmm. it. Um the other thing is also um, your methylation SNPs, so your methylation uh, genetic variations can kind of show. Uh, so what will happen is if someone's got a lot of methylation issues um, genetically, when you get their tri test, they'll look like they don't have any mercury in their system. But uh, Chris Shade says it is impossible not to have any mercury in your system, even if you don't have fillings as we mentioned, we're exposed environmentally to it. So mm. he says that if there's no, if there's such low, low, low levels, you have to suspect a methylation issue. And so you would investigate that and treat that, not go, oh, you're fine. You have no mercury. This sort of thing is obviously so involved. I think it requires mm. us to to look at this in more detail with specific patients and, and see what mm. their stories are. Um, what story evolved un- whilst they're undergoing therapy. So, Beth, i got to thank you so much for at least opening that Pandora's box. <laughs> tried to, but it is, yeah, look, it's this. Fish. Yeah, that's right. This is so, so involved that it's, we, you know, we're really just touching the surface by doing one pass podcast on this. So I'd love to have you back and, and delve further into this, if that's okay with you. Yeah, cool. And I'm sorry if I blew people's minds a little bit. <laughs> well, it does. It is a lot. It does. Yeah. And, and it's something that we, I think we need to be really respectful of when we are detoxing something like this because it's not something that you can just sweep under the carpet. It's a metal. You, it won't disintegrate. Mm. It's a metal. It retains. It, no. it remains. So, and it is serious, yeah. 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 And it's a serious issue. And I think sometimes we use the word detox a little bit kind of... Flippantly. A bit flippantly, yeah. Mm, mm. So well done and thank you so much for taking us through the issues and the opportunities, I guess, for the the Mercury Tri-Test and indeed other tests. Cool. Always a pleasure in speaking with you. 
and um, to the listeners, and we'll talk again soon. Done. This is FX Medicine. I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. If you're loving our FX Medicine podcasts, please don't forget to share us with your colleagues, family and friends.